We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your Welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. The gang is all here. Sorry. It's okay. Jimbo Baggins. El producer Juan Posada. Everybody is doing well. I hope. I haven't actually really talked to... I'm doing well. Good. Adam and I here here with David Niles. Man, it is here you go, one. I'm gonna let you pour yours. I got you, bro. It's good to be back in studio. It's good to be together. <laughs> good to be together. Um, a lot of things have been going on in, in 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 the world in general, and then specifically in the Tulsa world, and then specifically even yeah. in our own families. Um, but it's good to be good to be together. We had a crazy ice storm, uh, which has been wild. Yeah, man. Um, and it's been freezing, very, very cold. Yes. So uh, a couple of things that we need to talk about. One being that our fantasy football team, our league, has uh, ended, and the winner is who? Who was it? Is Jerusalem Giants? Is that who it was? Yes, the Jerusalem Giants. No, yes, Jerusalem Giants. So congratulations to them. Uh, every year we have a fantasy football league. The thing is, for patrons, it's hard to look up who that even is. Yeah, like w- just re- reach out to us. And let yeah, us know. let us know. Hey, we want to know who Jerusalem the Jerusalem Giants. Yeah, like email us because I, I can look it up, but all I see are first names and yeah. like. So every year, uh, for for fantasy football, we have, we have a, a like a, a Patreon league. Um, so if you're a patron of the Catholic Man Show, which by the way you should try to go, and, and do, you got to be a man to compete. I mean, like it's eighteen to twenty person league. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It, it's tough. Like yeah. you have to, you have to be on your chops, your fantasy chops. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, I of course beat Dave, which no one was keeping hmm. record, but hmm. but I did. Hmm. You know, my manager rating is like. Way higher than yours. Yes, I yeah. didn't know that. Okay, yeah, just curious if yeah. you knew that. I did. Uh, also, good. also, I'm glad you know that. <laughs> also, um, we had a a good friend who went to Ireland with us this last year on our pilgrimage, uh, Christian Brewer, and uh, he and his wife went with us, and they celebrated their twentieth anniversary. And when they got back uh, a few weeks later, Christian tragically passed away in a. Uh, car accident. Yeah, and today is his one year. Uh, yeah, one year anniversary, anniversary of, of his, his death. death. Yeah, and so we ask in in your charity to please keep him in your prayers, and then also his family, as you know, they um, they probably need their, your love and support as well. So absolutely, you know. So I uh, a message. We have a, a group me mm-hmm. a group a group me group. Should we call it? I don't, I don't know. know. But we set that up on the pilgrimage just so we you know had a way of communicating with everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I, I messaged somebody 
I messaged the group just as a reminder, like, hey, today's the anniversary of Christian's death. You know, please pray for his soul and remember his family. And one of the people wrote back, responded right away saying, I pray for him at every Mass. And it just uh, made me so thankful for that person, Terry, mm-hmm. who, who's, who's doing that. And it just, I just thought it was just such a blessing. And it, it, it really presented the gift of pilgrimage to mm-hmm. me. Right, then, mm-hmm. because these are two people, Christian and and Terry. They didn't know each other. They're right. not, they're not from even the same part of the country. And in the grand scheme of things, um, we all spent very little time together. You know, it was about ten days, mm-hmm. which is you know, ten days is a, is a good time, good amount of time. But it's not like we know we've known each other for years, and you know, right, you know. Um, but there's just something about traveling together on pilgrimage. It's just a bonding. It's just a bonding thing. Absolutely. And so much so for Terry that she's she's been praying for him at, at every single mass. You mm-hmm. know, like I just thought that was so great. I agree. Yeah, it's one of the the beautiful things about going on a pilgrimage. Yeah. So, um what are we drinking tonight, Dave? Well, uh you brought this, but it's it's Ardbeg Anamorphic. I uh I don't know much about it other than the one sip I had, which was enlightening. Yeah, it's a committee release. It's 2023 committee release. Um, it has like a multi, here's what it says, a multidimensional dram of, that morphs between four elements, sweet, smoky, herbal, and spicy, all seamlessly merging in a mesmerizing taste experience. As enigmas mm. wrapped up in a, wrapped up together this Ardbeg is a whole new level I think it's fantastic I know that's going to come as a, just a huge a shock, shock to, to everybody. everybody that I think Ardbeg is delicious but also I think Ardbeg as far as distillers go I think that what they do better than anybody is put out experiments yeah experimental it, like yeah sort of experimental ones but that are really good and some of them aren't even even experimental, like Cory Vrecken, um, you know, is is a really good one. Ugadile is another really good one, um, and that are very different from each other, but still very clearly Ardbeg. You know, when you try mm-hmm. them, it's like yes, sort of like when you look at when you see a family and you see all these kids, and you can tell, oh yeah, all those kids, they're definitely all related. Yeah, that's how I feel about all of the Ardbeg releases. They're, it's like clearly all the Ardbeg family, which I appreciate because I really, really like Ardbeg and mm-hmm. it's like them staying true to like who they are. But they're also still very different. Yeah. Um, which there's a lot of other distillers who have kind of, you know, a variety of things, but the variety isn't, it doesn't, they don't vary as much, you mm-hmm. know? So I just appreciate Ardbeg as a distillery. Yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, I think it's really delicious. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers, Cheers to Jesus. Cheers. Jim, what do you think on the yummy scale there? Uh, David's overselling it. It's like 3.9. Oh, 3.9. David's overselling it, 3.9. You know, different strokes, I guess. Well, but we also know that Jim doesn't really like smoky, yeah. peaty whiskey, so. What did we have last week that was a 4.97 or something? That was that was your uh Oh, yeah, that was yeah, the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what else going on? The, the well, pig, we got the pigs are pigs. Still no piglets. No piglets yet. Okay. No piglets yet. Um, 
it doesn't seem to me like it, it's still it's still days away. That's kind of how I feel. Okay. Um, but it's still anticipating. I'm I'm honestly glad they haven't been born yet because we've had uh, single digit temperatures. Right. And that was going to be really complicated to keep a, a piglet of, nice, a ice. nice and warm when it's seven degrees outside. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so now we have warmer weather coming. Hopefully, much better time to have one for some pigs to have some babies. Uh, in other news, we mentioned this last week, but my daughter Mary has officially yes. been confirmed um, in re- and first communion. Mm-hmm. She looked beautiful in her, her holy communion, or, you know, first communion dress, and um, it's really it was great. Awesome, it's really it was beautiful. great. Yeah, and my uh, nephew did get ba- got baptized the same day. Um, All right, so. You know, when we were at uh, this confirmation, so um, it was a confirmation first communion for the homeschooling group, and it's uh, in the restored order, which means that confirmation comes before first communion, which is actually the original order of the sacraments. There are the three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and uh, first Holy Communion. The reason confirmation comes before Holy Communion is that the reception of Holy Communion is now like the fullness of initiation. Okay, so it is, it's a, it's, there's nothing wrong with doing confirmation later um, mm-hmm. from a like, you know, sacrament. It's not, it's not like, oh, it's bad to do it later. I think you shouldn't, I don't, I think we shouldn't be doing confirmation, this is my personal opinion, later in life. But, um, I was looking at these. I'm, I'm, I'm in that camp as well. Yes. I'm like, Get them the grace as soon as as soon as possible. Totally, that's that's what I Preferably think. Preferably before puberty. Yes, um, and I was looking at watching these kids, you know, who are mostly like seven, eight, you know, nine. There were a couple that were maybe a little older than that, um, but the eagerness mm-hmm. and the receptivity, yeah, that they had towards the sacrament, and then you just contrast that with the high school groups who are there to receive the sacrament of confirmation, where. In the group, maybe one or two is actually excited about the sacrament, you know, um, and the rest just could not give a flip mm-hmm. about, you know, it's like mom said I had to, so I'm doing it. And I actually know, I actually know high school kids who's like, there, I'm getting confirmed so I can stop going to mass because that, you know, that's, that's tragic. That's how they feel about it. It's like, oh, I'm an adult now. I can finally make my own decisions. That's just, this is not. I just think you look at it and and say, is this working? It, to me, it's clearly, clearly not a good um, setup for the sacraments. So anyway, big fan also of the restored order. Yes. Not to mention it puts the sacraments in the correct order of, <laughs> of baptism, confirmation, and then first Holy Communion. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things in the church that we've, that are going back um, in this, in certain things, mm-hmm. um, you know, where we realized this isn't working. We should we should go back. Yeah, that's not a, lit, a liturgical stance. I'm just saying, like, there's just things. Yeah, that that we've done in practice. We say, hey, you know, this uh, this needs to be changed. Let's go back and do it. You know, we thought this was going to be better. It hasn't been, so let's do it different. Yeah. So when we get back, we're going to talk about something that I've always found like puzzling, which are hermits. Yes. Like. Like why and what's the what's the purpose? Are we gonna be talking about hermetical hermeneutics? Maybe. <laughs> Great title.
Hey guys, this is Nick with Exodus. And I want to invite you to consider joining us for a 90-day spiritual exercise, which you may have heard of before. It's called Exodus 90. And if you've ever thought, man, I, uh, I really am on my phone a lot. Or, man, I probably take work too seriously. Or, I drink a lot. Or and maybe there's a lot of other things that you think like, man, I should probably cut back on that. I'm not very present, you know, to my family, to my wife, even at the end of the workday. I want to invite you to come check out Exodus 90. Go to startmyexodus.com. We start January 1st. And this is really all about growing in your faith, growing your prayer life, and being more present to those around you so that you can become the man that God has created you to be. Startmyexodus.com. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. I forgot it was my turn to bring us in. We've only been doing it for seven years. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about hermits today. Yeah. Are they like? Are they pointless? Do they still exist? What, yeah. Like, because you've got levels. I mean, the hermits. I actually think hermits, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I believe I can't wait to correct you. Hermits predate um, even like monks and religious, like the religious orders. Mm. People were going out into the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it depends. There what may you have mean. been some, like... It depends on what you mean, because there, there's even some biblical rever- re- uh, references of, like, hermits. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think about... So it just depends on what you mean by that. But like, okay, so let's, Like St. Anthony, you know, who is the, right. you know, like monastic father of mm-hmm. sort of like the religious movement mm-hmm. in the East, who was actually before St. Benedict. Right. He, he actually was... A hermit before i'm sure there were some orders i don't know yeah so yeah so i i've always had this question about like why like like why is it that they're like hermits exist right because it just seems like that we're all called for communion like uh we need one another um i don't understand why we some some people should be going out into the desert and living their life kind of on their own now obviously there's some qualifications there because Hermits, even while living out in the desert, um, still go back in, mm-hmm. right? Um, typically weekly, like for Sunday Mass uh-huh. uh, with the with the community. But it still just like kind of almost rubbed me the wrong way. I just didn't feel like, like, just didn't seem like it was fitting. Right, because you're made for, for fraternity. Yeah. Right. One of the first things God says about man is it's not good for man to, to be, be alone. alone. Right. And here you are. Going out and it being alone. It seems like you're rejecting part of your nature almost, right? right? Yeah. yeah so, I, I share some of those questions. Yeah. And so I, I, I read this book recently, which is a great um, Linton read if, you, if you're if you looking for one. It's called A Christian Asceticism. It's by An- Anselm Stolz. Not St. Anselm. No, Anselm Stolz. He was a, um, I forget. So the professor of systematic theology in Rome um, okay. in the early 1900s to okay. 1942. Um, but it's a great book. It's called Christian Asceticism. It's put out by uh, Aruka Press. Is that how you say it? Aruka Press? Sure. Yeah. Um, great. It's a great read, and I'm pulling mainly from, from this book. But before we talk about like exactly what hermits are, I think we should talk about the ascetic life. Okay. Because... Uh, Very good. Because uh, hermits is just an extension of like the ascetic life. It's just an... Ex- 
like almost like an extreme of the ascetic life. Okay. Um, and so what do we mean by that, right? What do we mean by ascetics, mm-hmm. like aesthetic practices? And that's really like self-denial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's fasting abstinence. It's, it's um, like suppressing your will, yeah. like, you know, for, and denying yourself certain pleasures for a greater yeah, good. Yeah, it's like a, a, a life of penance or the, yeah. or the practice of penita- penitential practices would be a, an ascetic life. Right, and so it really, an ascetic really just seeks God. Right. This is what, this is the whole purpose of the ascetic life is by to rejecting seek God. the world. Right. Uh, it's search for its original homeland that was lost in sin by Adam. Right. And so, like, imagine back in you know with the Garden of Eden, Adam, Adam, like, heard God in the garden. Right. Like he knew God's presence. Talk to God. Right. And so, but because of sin, uh, he no longer has that luxury. Right. And so, and then uh, self desires, pleasures, things of this world became attractive and actually kind of drowned out the voice of God. Uh-huh. So, really, it's this whole idea of like just coming back to uh, the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. before sin. Right. Or, right. Or going back to like what, what we're made for, namely heaven. Mm-hmm. An attempt to put priorities in the right place, mm-hmm. you know, order my will towards its, the ultimate good. Mm-hmm. Instead of being distracted towards the lower goods of the world, you know, things that are still good, but not the ultimate good. Right. But which are so tempting all the time. You know, I think we as moderns don't, we just don't realize how steeped we are in the modern world. Mm. Okay. You know, it's like, does the fish know he's in the water? Mm-hmm. You know, it's difficult for us to really, really have an appreciation for the comforts, luxuries, you know, that we just take for granted all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this can go the wrong way because we're not Stoics, right? So we're not doing it just right. for its, its own sake, right? right? So it, it, they talk about it in, in, in the book, Christian Asceticism. It says, the ascetic life leads to contemplation and all the ascetic practices is secondary to that goal. So contemplation leads to union with God and draws us towards this divinization. Mm-hmm. So like the goal is not the asceticism for itself. The which, goal... Which is, that's, that's what the Stoics would... That would say. That's what they would say. Is it's just about suppression. Right. Uh, but the goal is, uh, I must decrease so that he may increase. Mm-hmm. To lead into this, con- this life of contemplation, to contemplate, uh, to contemplate, you know, our creator. Um, yeah. And so that, and, and, the, and, and the means to that end is a lot of times ascetic practices. Sure. So Aquinas talks about this idea because like, you know, once, obviously once we're in heaven, you know, we're in a perfect state. Like this is what we're made for. We're made to be in heaven. We're made to be with God. We're made to contemplate God. We're made to, to rest in him for all of eternity, right? Mm-hmm. And so he talks about how one can reach perfection in two routes. Okay. Either by divine grace alone or they may gain it by the exercise of virtue. Okay. So there may be a way in which, you know, like, um, but or a combination or combinate, yeah. yeah. Well, because even by gaining it by the exercise of virtue, it's just a cooperation with His grace. Mm-hmm. So either God can go probably like an abnormal route, which would be like just through His divine grace, um, make you perfect. Yeah. Um, one be an immaculate conception, right? That's an sure. That's that's maybe an example of that. Like that's not a par excellence. Yeah. Um, but the other way is really the cooperate in the probably the normal practice 
is mm-hmm. the cooperation and exercise of virtue. And there are other examples. That some of the saints have had the, like uh, St. Thomas Aquinas had this experience where basically God told him, you will no longer struggle with temptations of chastity. Mm-hmm. And that, that was just a, I mean, obviously he was a very virtuous man, right. but this was just simply an, like an overwhelming grace that God gave to Based him. Based on his virtue, though, that he... I mean, he yeah, like, he was certainly virtuous, but it wasn't his... It's not like his virtue had, like, merited this or, you know, like... Maybe. It, it was, okay... I mean, he ran the prostitute he, out. He, he, did, he did, like, yes, run this prostitute out of this, this tower he was staying in, um, but still, to never have a temptation mm-hmm. against chastity for the rest of your life is just simply a, a, a grace mm-hmm. that's overpowering you know, that lower part of your nature. Right. And so he's talking about like, so if we're talking about perfection, we're talking about leading ourselves, you know, leading to perfection and our end. Mm-hmm. Uh, social life is therefore necessary to exercise this perfection, right? Because we're not made for, to be alone. Right. Um, that the friendships in this life prepare us for the friendship that we'll have with, yeah. with Christ in, in the next, right? So mm-hmm. like um, our friendship hopefully is a virtuous friendship founded on Jesus Christ that brings us to, that ascends us towards our heavenly father. Juan uh, creates, uh, with his friendship, the three of us uh, is a unique uh, relationship that we wouldn't have without Juan. Like, Juan brings certain things into the friendship that you and I would not have by ourselves that, like, create a new, greater, deeper understanding of, of, of God, right? Cheers, Juan. Way to go, Juan. Cheers. Um, so, but he says, like, so he's talking about, like, we're needed in a social life for perfection. But he says, solitude, on the other hand, is suitable for those who are already perfect. So, oh, wow. so he's talking, so he says like, once you are, uh, you know, and, and I think what he means by, by perfect here is that you no longer, there, there's a couple things, you're no longer uh, like um, ordered with your passions, like your passions aren't overcoming like your will. Uh-huh. Um, you're no longer tempted by the, the, the world. And you don't you don't desire those the things of this world. Let me ask you a question here, and okay. uh, if I'm if I'm jumping ahead, just let me know. Okay. Does he talk about um, hermit, the state of being a hermit, as like a subset of religious life, or does he does he kind of present this as, you know, regardless of what your vocation is? This is still an option. Um, so I don't know if Aquinas talks about that, but Anselm Stolz does talk about that, it. That's what that's what I mean. Oh, okay, Anselm. Uh, so he does talk about how it's it's typically. A, oh, this is Aquinas. The stuff you've just been reading. This is all from Aquinas. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I you you said that I'm sure, but yes, I did. I missed it. Um, but he does talk about how hermits are typical are, are, are monks. Yeah. Because when you read the Rule of Saint, but the reason I asked that is because Saint Benedict certainly seems to me to think that it is a, a sort of a subset of the monk. Okay, so hold on. Let, let, so let's pause there. Because I, okay. uh, what well, I want to... You want to come back to that? Yeah, because okay. basically what I'm trying to say is, okay, so uh, we're, we're called to perfection. We need one another to, to, to grow in holiness. Mm-hmm. But once we have reached a, a level of holiness that we no longer need necessarily one another, that solitude is sufficient and actually uh, fitting um, in the state of perfection. Right. Okay, it's, but engaging in the solitude without ha- first being formed properly is very dangerous, obviously. This is what right. Aquinas talks about. And those who've already reached perfection don't need other people's help. 
So this makes sense. Right. Like those in heaven, we don't have to pray for their soul. Like the saints, we don't pray for their souls. Because they don't need it. They don't need it. They're already right. perfected. Right. And it's still, and this is still true of the hermit, that, that we are all made to make of ourselves a gift to one another. Okay. And once you've achieved this level of perfection, like what we're talking about here, you can now do that in solitude. You can, you're still making yourself a gift right. to the community through your contemplative life. Right. So that's what we're going to actually talk about. I wanted to set this up to actually then talk about the hermit life okay. and what we can learn from it and then how uh, we're actually all called, regardless of your vocation, to live an ascetic life. Very good. Do you feel like God is calling you to go on a pilgrimage? Well, for the last 34 years, Select International Tours has been leading pilgrimages to holy sites all over the world. And you want when you go on pilgrimages, Dave, you want to make sure you have the great the best hotels, you're touring with the best guides, and every detail has been addressed. And that's exactly what you're getting with Select International Tours. So, for more information, go to their brand new website, selectinternationaltours.com. They have been a sponsor of the Catholic Man Show for a long time now. Even during the COVID pandemic, they were still sponsoring our show. A lot of other tour companies were really shutting down. These guys were consistent. So go to selectinternationaltours.com to find out more information about all the great pilgrimages they offer all over the world. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. If you're just tuning in on Catholic Radio, we're talking about... um, Perfection, solitude, friendship, and how that leads into hermits, uh, and what the what their purpose is, and then the ascetic life, and how, and then eventually, what we're going to talk about is how we are all called, regardless of your vocation, to the ascetic life. Um, I have another question about before we before we move on. Okay, because we basically we just laid out the framework that you know once you achieve this certain level of perfection, you no longer need that like level of fraternity, the accountability you know, to mm-hmm. uh, pursue virtue. Mm-hmm. You're now able to, because of the mastery of your own passions, mm-hmm. pursue that virtue independently. Mm-hmm. My question is... and Actually, never independently, but... Thank you. That's a, that's a good caveat. But in solitude. Yes. My question is, do any of the authors talk about if you've achieved that level of, that level of perfection in your... In your uh, spiritual life, is it actually a risk not to pursue solitude at that point? I, I'm well, just thinking that, okay, so there, there now certain- through those, uh, like through your fraternity, mm-hmm. you might actually just continue to encounter more, tr- like it might might be more dangerous for you to persist in the world, so to speak, right? Just because... Yeah. So do he, ta- they, he talks, do they talk about that? Yeah. So he talks about how actually not every, even in the states of perfection, like if you are in, living in, in this state of perfection, uh, you are still, that does not mean you're necessarily called to a hermit life. Perfect. Um, so really, it, it, like living the Christian life, right? We're, we're all, like, in order to become holy, we can't, we can't leave the cross or mortification out of the picture. Like, right? The, the truly Christian life without trials and sufferings is, is inconceivable. Right. Right. So, we're all going to suffer in this life. And so it's a, a matter of like what we do with that suffering mm-hmm. and how, you know, how we interpret that suffering and how we um, are able to either cooperate or, or use that suffering 
to a good end or to a bad end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this process of divinization that we were talking about, how like uh, th- that contemplation leads to this unity with God, which is this this the- theosis type of yeah. divinization, uh, really talks about, this is not a shocker to probably anybody who is a Catholic, but the means uh, to this is fasting, prayer, and reading of Holy Scripture. Like this is the way in which it, you're, you're called to holiness by fasting, by prayer, and by the study of Holy Scripture. Now, interestingly, here's where hermits come into play, is what, is what he says in here, is that it wasn't until the 4th and 5th century when Christianity became legal was there a need for hermits. No kidding. So be, when Christianity became legal, the ease of, of Christians... You're now able to, that, that, that's a good thing, right? That, that Christianity became legal, and so now more yeah, people certainly. can practice the faith. But what also happens, in, like, what just naturally is there's a secularization of the church. Yeah. Right? Because, and this is the political forces of, like, of what I mean, happens between the church and the world, right? Because, like, once it becomes, like, legal, then you have to encounter the world, and rulers in this world, who are not perfect, will end up compromising some things. Like we're not, mm-hmm. and, and so like look at look at Ireland, right? There's this, that's the look at the of U.S. Ireland. Yeah, the U.S. too. Uh, so there's gives and takes, like right. This is, these are good thing, right? That that that's legal, but it also uh, now it, there's less stress on there's comfort that in the Christian life. Yeah, um, and so they talk about how the church always needs martyrs because the Church of Christ is essentially the Church of Martyrs. Mm-hmm. Now in times of peace. When the storm of persecution has passed, the church still has her martyrs, but they're not soaked in blood of the you know the sands aren't soaked in blood, but rather without the blood of the shedding of blood, they're drawn to the world of outpouring grace through prayers and mortification. So there's different types of martyrs, not necessarily those who are dying, uh, you know, for the sake of of the church, but through they're giving up their life through prayer and mortification. So do you think that? When it was illegal, you had a more like a by default hermit style because you were already in hiding, right? You couldn't congregate in big numbers. So it's almost like it was a structure more like that, just not by the virtue of what they had to do to worship. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's some validity to that. I think that, again, it goes back to you cannot, like, with as a state of Christians, you cannot run away from the cross. If you're a Christian, you cannot yeah. run away from the cross. So the cross is going to look different for each time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like, like what I, I loved what he said there is, is that essentially like the church always needs martyrs because the church of Jesus is essentially the church of martyrs. Yeah. Cause we're, we're um, living our life in uh, the manifest, the, the manifestation of Christ, the word made flesh is the example, the true example of man and what did he do? But he laid down his life for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, they say, like, basically, in times of peace, the need for hermits increase. In the times of turmoil and, and trouble, the need for hermits decrease. Yeah, red, red versus white martyrdom. Right. Yeah, and I think that there's a natural, there's just a natural thing that takes place in the mind that you can see in, in other things. If, if you are presented with two products, one of them costs more than the other. You're going to put a greater, even if they're exactly the same, 
you know, two watches. Say they're exactly the same watch, but one watch just costs twice as much as the other. You are going to, in your mind, ass- like assign more value to the one that costs you more, rightly or wrongly. Okay, so I- I'm not saying this is a spiritual reality. This is just a, a natural reality in the own, like in the perception of us. Okay, mm-hmm. so if now we're buying into something, this idea of Christianity, and it's going to cost us everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we're going to we're going to be able to appreciate the reality of of what the Christian life means mm-hmm. in a in a deeper and truer way. Whereas today, you know, here in America, uh, certainly, um, the cost of being Christian doesn't appear to be very high. Right. It it's it hasn't changed. It still costs you everything. Right. To embrace the Christian faith the way the way it's you know in the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Right. But it doesn't seem like it, right? And so but this is the importance. It, it of does. Length, it right? has in a way of cheapening it in our mind. It, right. And I don't mean that the faith is in it cheap at all. No, but it's just a natural thing that takes place in our own in our own perceptions. Yeah. So there's a there's a real spiritual warfare going on here, right? Whether or not you you like feel like you're you're a guy who's like taught like who can relate to spiritual warfare or not. Like the reality is there is a spiritual warfare, and so this is what the importance of also Lent. Is like, do you want to be the man who gave up chocolate for Lent? Or do you want to be the man who like subdued their passions for the greater good of their family? Yeah. Like, um, a priest recently, I was listening to his talk. And he Hashtag said, Exodus 90. Yes. Uh, <laughs> a, a priest recently talked about um, how this Lent, he said, do something that you are not capable of doing without the Lord. Like, mm. do something... Lent this year that you will fail for sure without doubt that you will fail this Lent without the help of God and do that which I think is really uh, bold bold right so again so there's a spiritual warfare happening right and and, uh, the world is trying to take over which you know with the prince of the world is is, is the devil uh, but Christ has died and uh, you know this whole world and conquered death and so there's this whole war that's happening here on earth right and so when there's persecution in the church that there's a natural uh, the 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 blood the martyr the seeds of the church right so there's this natural growth that happens in the church when there's peace then there's needed for other people who say just like in a martyr sense that they're giving up their life but they're going to give up their life in prayer and mortification for the sake and sanctity of of the world mm-hmm. So these these people who uh, have reached the state of perfection, um, and they're not swayed by their passions, they're not uh, overcome by the by worldly temptations. That they are able to um, see the goodness of God for his own, for, for its own sake and desire it for its own sake. Um, there are three reasons to be a hermit. Okay, and so th- so as a monk, these are three things in which they kind of go through to, under- to see like, is this something that I'm called to do? Mm-hmm. And mainly, the first one is detachment. Like, are you trying to, to you know, like, have you detached from the world? Right. Um, the ascetics conviction uh, conviction that if they wanted to be perfect, then they must separate themselves from the world as as much as possible. Okay. The other one is crazy. It's do battle with the devil. They must confront him openly and do so in solitude. See, that reminds me of the rule of St. Benedict, where he talks about hermits. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, not all monks are called to this, but only those 
I, I, I forget exactly how he puts it, but essentially it's what we're talking about. Only those who have achieved perfection and they go out to do single combat with the devil. Mm-hmm. He actually uses the term single combat, which I think is yeah. awesome. Uh, and then the third one is like defending supernatural treasures. So supernatural mm. progress requires our battling, constant struggle and defending the supernatural treasures against the enemy ambushes and attacks. And mm. so basically you're a soldier. We're all soldiers in baptism of Christ, right? And so they say there's, uh, he talks about how there's two different types of soldiers uh, in this world. And there's very few of them who are called to actually do battle uh, with the devil, namely main, um, mostly these hermits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, are, there are soldiers who are to guard the campground. You know what we need to bring back? The stylites. Hmm. <laughs> that would be interesting. Get some people in the middle of the city just standing on a pole for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Way up high, just on this pillar. I'm just up here. Just suffering for I'm you just, guys. I'm, I'm just standing on this pole for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would like to go back in time to just see some of those guys. That would be sweet. Another interesting thing, though, about this, about hermits, is the location. Right, St. Okay, Anthony yeah, yeah. talks about going to the desert. Uh huh. You know, and but that's because that's where the, the desert was what he had on hand. Well, um, it's also where Christ went to battle the devil. Yeah, that's true. And um, he talks about actually St. Cassian and uh, St. Anthony talk about like uh, the territory in the desert. So when we get back, we're going to actually talk having about having like specific spiritual value. Is that is that yeah. what you're saying? Okay, <laughs> all right. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We're talking about hermits, like like the green berets of the spiritual world, the Navy Seals of Jesus. Yeah, and so before the break, we were talking about how uh, how the de- like actual specific territory uh, is very important. Okay, and so um, you know in. Not all hermits have been in the desert, but it does seem like you're right that mm-hmm. there has been a a pride of place almost. Yeah, so with, with uh, the desert. In, in imitation of Christ, you know, who went out into the desert for 40 days and was tempted by the desert, uh, the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, hermits do the same thing, but St. John Cashin talks about in their desire to do battle with the demons openly and directly, they did not fear to go out into the vast solitudes of the desert, uh, but that... Only he who has attained a certain degree of perfection is called to face the demons in this way, for he is only capable of seeing them in the desert. So they actually talk about in in, in this book how uh, the desert is actually kind of the territory for demons. So they're like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Going out there. Of heaven. Yeah. And going out and uh, basically doing battle with the with demons. With their gorgeous long blonde hair. Just going out. That's how out. you want to describe it. Yeah, it's an analogy. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I find that very interesting that the place was something. Yeah. The geographical place. That is interesting, and it makes sense. Actually, the more I think about it, it does make sense because you, you, the Bible makes specific reference actually to demons wandering through the arid regions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when a demon is expelled, he wanders through the desert. You know, and then talks about him like getting more of his buddies and coming back to the possessed person, person who was recently possessed, and finding the house put in order, and then you know, then they all move in. Mm-hmm. But it does say specifically that the demon wanders through the arid regions. 
and how beautiful it is that the warrior of Christ goes out into the other the enemy's territory behind enemy lines to do the battle. Yeah. And say like no Christ is sufficient for me. Yeah. Well, it, it's Pretty almost sweet. like he's he's battling it there so that he doesn't come to the people. Mm-hmm. Right? He's fighting him there and keeping him occupied from coming here. Yeah. And defending these supernatural graces, these supernatural like gifts that we've been given. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like so anyway, it, as I was reading this book, it talks about how actually that the hermit life is the logical and almost necessary consequence for the for the Christian life. Um, not everybody is called to all you know these things, but the voca- like everybody's called to a vocation, you right, know. And so right. uh, that doesn't mean your vocation is the same as my vocation or Jim's vocation, but uh, all the voca- all those vocations are needed in the body of Christ, and some are su- such a high level of. Uh, of a vocation to where their their state of perfection is so high, and they see God uh, for really who He truly is. Sure, and is no longer like caring about the world or him, or himself or or the needs of himself, and goes out on behalf of those here on earth to do battle with the devil. Um, so it's so he talks about how it's actually the highest and most perfect form of a monk. Well, that's once again, that's what St. Benedict references that. Yeah, which I thought was uh, really cool to think about. It's, and as I started thinking about it, then I realized like, oh, actually, it does make sense, right? That, that it's not that he's going out alone either because he's reached such a level to where I don't necessarily, like, I don't need a friendship, a human friendship, mm-hmm. but I have such a relationship with God and this communion of saints. Uh, I actually don't think that the, like, the friendships that they had... I don't think that they like gave them up at all. I think that they just, you know how um, a married couple, mm-hmm. you've, you've been married for so long, they don't need to say much to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they, they know each other and mm-hmm. like they can have this kind of communication without saying anything. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in many ways, the hermits may have had something like that with each other where I know, I don't, look, I don't have to see you all the time to like I, I because our friendship is rooted in Christ right. and we're both pursuing him so passionately and directly that our friendship stays fresh and renewed all the time. That's right. I think that's actually uh, exactly right. And, and so th- their fraternity remains even though it takes on a, you know obviously a new form. Mm-hmm. So again, the ways to get there are through prayer fasting and reading of holy scripture mm-hmm. and so then it then the book goes into a lot more about uh okay what does that mean for for the married man um, yeah I, and, I have questions about about marriage and, okay. and hermits if you want to go there but um well whatever so, you think so let's talk about contemplation for just a second because okay, because yeah. contemplation is the you unity with god right so like right. in order to uh or achieve these type of levels the highest goal of all people of all people is contemplation but contemplation is difficult yeah, right, there's a saying that an old hermit said, uh, I don't think there's anything harder than prayer. When a man wants to set himself to pray, that is, when the enemies, the demons, try to prevent it. They know very well that nothing is more of an obstacle to their activities than prayer addressed to God. Every good work, if you practice it perseveringly, leads to rest. Only prayer requires you to struggle to the very last mm-hmm. breath. Dude, that happens to me all the time. When I sit down to pray, 
I, I, you know, distraction and prayer is something I constantly battle. Mm-hmm. I think just about everybody does. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, oh, when I have like five or six seconds of like, oh yes, I'm really like thinking and like really communicating with God well, I will have a distraction about how well I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, I'm doing good. Mm-hmm. I haven't been distracted. And all of a sudden that is the distraction. And mm-hmm. like, and I know that that is, that's just like the demon assigned to me right. is that's just his tactic he's using at that moment. Yep. Or like, oh, well, maybe I should... Uh, you know, light the fire before I pray. Or, or, you know, there's, you can, you sit down to pray and all of a sudden you come up with all these other things. Oh, well, I, if if I want to pray well, right. I should probably, uh, <laughs> you know, do this first. That way, that way I can just really pray, you know, all the time. Absolutely. Constantly there's, you know, do anything mm-hmm. other than pray. Right. So I, I found it interesting that they're talking about like, okay, well, how do I build a life of contemplation? Uh, obviously, the, the first thing that they talk about is order in life, to set aside the time uh-huh. and make sure and it's, give it the first of your day. Yeah. But it also really leans into the, the need for manual labor. Hmm. So uh, it's a, he said that human nature needs this, uh, this occupation to give it a break from time to time from the dema- demands of contemplation because... Again, contemplation is difficult. You know, it's not something that you like is easily obtained for long periods of time. So it gives a chance to build itself back up again to raise oneself towards God and renewed energy. And so this manual labor aids contemplation so far as it presents this uh, penitential activity, uh, this type of mortification, but then yeah. also this realism that happens uh, that unites the body and the soul as a, you know, as a unit. Almost like you need to pray and work. Almost like ora et labora. Almost like that. Mm-hmm. Sounds very similar. But he says, like, obviously we're, uh, we're, we're men that will get tired. Like, you know, we have, a, our stamina is not... Unlimited. Pre- unlimited, yeah. yeah. And so he says, actually, the, the, the Eucharist is this unique relationship with the ascetic life. The Eucharist supplies this necessary strength and union with Jesus and his sacrifices and wields the ascetic efforts to the master's universal as- as sacrifice. So it's basically saying like the, 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 the Eucharist is that which gives us the life and sustains us to keep going and unites our work, obviously, with the, the master's universal sacrifice, mm. um, Christ on the cross. There were hermits in the past who were not priests who used to come into town or meet, meet a priest somewhat regularly just to get uh, like a stock of Euchar- of the Eucharist and that they would take with them in- back into their cave so that they could, on a scheduled, regular basis, mm-hmm. receive Holy Communion. This is, this is like a long time ago, yeah. you know? Um, I, don't, I, I think probably the, the, the rules, the regulations. <laughs> changed, yeah. like, but, but this is the, per, per, like, the Eucharist is the, the source and the summit of our, of our faith. It gives yeah. us, it's the life within, within the Eucharistic, uh, or within the Christian life, right? Yeah. Um, that it, that it, it gives us, it unites us truly to our Lord yeah. and uh, his ultimate sacrifice in, in conquering death on the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the important, the important part of the story about those hermits taking the Eucharist with them was that they had this recognition that I cannot do this right. without the real presence of Christ in my life. Right. You know, I have to have him with me right. to do it. So what does this mean for 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 married people, right? So this yes. is so uh prayer, obviously we we talk about like the importance of contemplation and prayer, but what does it mean 
uh, for married people. Uh, but uh, St. John Chrysostom, Juan, you gave us this book a, a while back on on marriage, um, which is really, really good. It's just a, it's a green little, almost like booklet mm-hmm. um, by St. John Chrysostom on marriage. You, you can Google that and, and find it. But um, but he's, he talks about how marriage is not an obstacle to perfection and that it's it's not good to think about how, oh, well, I'm not called to this type of life um, of, of perfection, which because we all are, are called to this uh, life of perfection. And he said, those who live in the world, although they are married, should be just like the monks in every other way, meaning have prayer, mortification, and reading of holy text um, in their lives. In fact, he even goes so far now. I'm interested to get your take here, okay? Um, okay. Because this is something that some people may not like. But uh, St. John Christian talks about how um, getting down on your knees to pray and ask God uh, to be merciful in the middle of the night which is much more efficacious uh, as, the, as the father of the household to do so. And he says, you, the man, should act like this, not to leave it to just your wife, that the house ought to continually be an oratory for husband and wife, and that man should have the ultimate sacrifice, the toughest part, and to be getting up in the middle of the night to pray for protection and have mercy on his family. That would be so tough. That would be so hard. But you and I know a guy who... Who does felt, that. Who, yeah, who felt the call to do that. And, and as has. far as I know, continues to do that. We're out of time on the Catholic Radio. Go check us out, thecatholicmanshow.com. We're going to continue talking about this and have a few more things about the ascetic life. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. So yes, I do want to talk about marriage okay. here because... Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, and not so much from the aspect of contemplation because obviously, obviously, like... All married people are called to contemplation, mm-hmm. um, and and into that. All people, you don't even have to have a qualifier. On yeah, that. yeah. All people, no matter who you are, where you are, how old you are, what you're sure. doing. Um, but the idea of like the call to solitude, mm-hmm. it seems to stand, you know, like indirect conflict mm-hmm. with the very vocation of marriage. Yeah. So I think that there's some. Okay, so this is going to be. I'm glad this is off the Catholic radio because well, this I wanted, is one of the. I wanted yeah. to wait. I've got another. I've got some other ones I want to ask you about. That so this is something that I think. Um, so Saint Augustine talks about how once once a married couple like reaches a certain like spiritual level to where they actually don't desire or even really have uh, marital relations because mm-hmm. it's kind of a lower good. Yeah, it's still still a good. Yeah, um, but it's a lower. But, good. But celibacy is a higher good. Right, and so. Because it's there it's, a, is, it's a practice of the already but not yet. Yes. Um, so there, there are couples who reach a certain stage of perfection um, within their marriage that they actually mm-hmm. don't don't uh, have marital relations anymore. Yeah. Many saints, uh, husband and wife saints, chose to do this. You know, it was, it was a, a practice that was much more common in the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. um, where you know their children are, are grown. And they both decide to, like, live a life of solitude and both join religious orders. Right. And I think that Aquinas's direction here is very important that uh, you, should not, you should not do this without proper training. Well, um, and you can't do it without the consent. I mean, if, bo- if both husband and wife don't equally desire this, you can't do it because at the end of the day, you're, you can't just, un- you're not unmarried. You will be married yeah. and the marital debt is... Yeah, so it, I, you know, I, like, yeah, you have to be cooperating with each other to do that. Correct. So I, I think that there's two different uh, solitudes that we could talk about here, right? Mm-hmm. So one, one being 
um, kind of what you're hinting at is literally a life of solitude. Uh, there's a literal, literal one. Literal yeah. one. Um, and I think the, probably the more common one and the, and the one probably more people are called to would be a, kind of like an analogous solitude, meaning um, there are certain uh, things in which you, you give up uh, you know, for the greater good. Um, and, and so like marital relations like more, that you're talking like about that, that being one of them, right. Um, mm-hmm. for the greater good of things. So there's a, there's more of a, a solitude there. Well, you know, it also strikes me that God has ordered the nature of man where solitude, um, becomes a part of your life for at least for many people at the end anyway, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, if, if you're, if you're lucky enough to be married for long enough mm-hmm. and you, and you, uh, you know, like reach an age of like a specific amount of fullness, mm-hmm. marital relations just simply might not be possible mm-hmm. for you. Okay. Um, and so in a way, you, if you see that for the, for the blessing that it is, cause God only blesses. You know, you know. Sometimes he blesses us with trials because those are the things we need to like reach out to him more fully and more completely. Right? That very well could be what he's doing. Is he's kind of instilling a solitude upon you so that you might prepare for him? Mm-hmm. Right? That your love might be more directed at this fullness of age where you you now have hopefully wisdom. You know, you have a, a perspective on life, mm-hmm. what it's for, mm-hmm. and what its destiny is. Right when when you have when you have this old age, that you can now use what you, the life you have left towards its perfection, mm-hmm. towards ordering it towards Him into this solitude. It seems like God has just simply built that into our nature. Mm-hmm. That at some point we will this will happen to us, mm-hmm. whether whether we're widowed. Or right. not, it's it seems inevitable. Yeah. So there's there there really is a beauty there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not one that's fun to think about, right? And it, it's not one that seems it doesn't seem very good on its face. Mm-hmm. But I think that if we always if we maintain the right perspective, and if we you know once again continue a life of striving for contemplation. Mm-hmm. That we will we will find the beauty and the goodness, even in that stage in that season of our life, mm-hmm. and and it it will be a very rich and very um, fruitful one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I mean, just like how you know hermits before they even go out, right? They have to reach the state of perfection, right? Which I think we mm-hmm. kind of gloss over and just say, oh yeah, well, they, I mean, the state of perfection. Well, I mean. All the saints talk about how, like, the state of perfection only happens uh, as slow process, right? The uh, oak tree does not is not is not grown over over the course of a day. Um, the virtuous life is a slow, um, mundane almost process um, at times, and so um, it's an everyday picking up your cross and carrying it. It's every day of living the virtuous life, of going out and, and attacking your passions head on and, and you know, um, quieting your appetites so that you can actually hear God in contemplation, right? So this ascetic lifestyle of, of denying yourself. I, I was thinking about this the other day as um, we were, um, you know, we have this 
20 minutes of con- at least 20 minutes of contemplation uh, during Exodus 90, I was thinking about how I really did not want to take a cold shower that morning. Right. Oh, how- just that morning, huh? Yeah just, yeah, just that one morning. And I was thinking like, I just didn't want to do it. I said, no, I didn't want to do it. I just want to take a shower. Mm-hmm. And how, like how in my mind, I think like, oh, of course I'd be a martyr. Of course I would say yes. yes. Oh, right. Of course I would do this. Like w- without a doubt, I would be a martyr. But I can't say yes to like a cold shower that's going to last like 10 minutes max or five minutes max. Yeah, 10 minutes. I was going <laughs> to say, long. I have never taken a 10 minute cold shower. Yeah. I mean, but like, I can't say, I can't say no to, to, to this small good. Yeah. And I, I'm expecting that I'm going to say yes to this, to this great good. Yeah. I mean, it just like really hit me. And I know this is, I mean, most, most guys have had this, this feeling, but like it just really hit me in a, in a like strong way about how. In my mind, is of course I would do this. Right, you, you you think so much of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I have thought about that. You know, okay, because I I think just about every married man thinks, oh, I would die for my wife. Right. I would die for my kids. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that that's probably true, but I don't think it's just as obvious. Like you know, as you sit here in the comfort of you know security. Because it seems like, oh, of course I would do it. It wouldn't right. even—I I wouldn't even have to think about it. Obviously, right. I'm going to do it. But my question is, okay, you would. Well, do you? Right. Do you di- do you die for them? Because I think if you don't now, and if you're not willing to do it now, mm-hmm. why all of a sudden do you think magically mm-hmm. you're just going to be willing to do it then? Right. Um. I mean, it's, that just doesn't make sense. Right. And maybe you would, and that, and that by the for, grace of God. And that goes for any... It goes for anything. Any, and any so, advice that you may be struggling. The same struggling as with, with martyrdom. Oh, oh, I would die for Christ. Really? Would you? Right. Uh, well, do you? Because if you don't die to him now, for him now, in those little ways, then I think that when it comes down to it, um, you might be ashamed of what you, you know, like when the moment is, you know, like when the... People talk about running into a burning building mm-hmm. until you feel the heat on your face. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now, now are so you, hot. yeah, it's like, oh, now are you going to run into that burning right. building? You know, how many people don't? Right. So, the, and I mean, we've seen this happen even in this world. I mean, the world has played this out before, yeah. um, time and time again, even in recent time periods. Um, but, the, and this is the beauty of this, the ascetic life, right? Is that it's not, it's not a, a negative, right? The, the ascetic life is is actually a positive one. Mm-hmm. It's being able to, it, it's this actual true love. Like uh, a buddy of ours was talking the other day and we were talking about just some of the trials that uh, that we were going through, right? Some of the things that we were going through in life and we we're like, man, this is really hard. And he said like, I'm really glad we talked about this because I can love you more. I was like, what, I mean, what do you mean? He's like, well, now now that I know through your suffering, knowing that you're suffering, I can like pray for you through that specific thing and I can love you more. Mm, yeah. And so it's like through through your friendships, you know, through through these trials and you're able to talk about it, it's like okay, well sacrifice enables more like true love. Right? It, it enables you to love in a, in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. Um totally. To the point of like, you know, the gospel is no greater love than this to, to lay down your life for for the man of another. Mm-hmm. Um so, um, that, this is the beauty of, of the ascetic life is once you actually, it's no longer that 
when you reach to a certain point, which takes a long time, and I pray that I'm, I'm there someday, uh, that it's no longer a fight of saying no, but it's the desire to say yes for a greater good. Right. I think that is the that's the key is am I saying no or am I saying yes? Because right. I'm sur- I'm absolutely still at the point where I'm saying no. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and and ultimately it comes down to the fact that I have not um, fully convinced myself of the goods that await me. Mm-hmm. I either don't have a realization, and and this is something I'm t- like intellectually. Yes, I can think about these things. I can understand them. But do I like believe them deep down in my heart or something? Right. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I have not fully convinced myself that the goods of heaven are what they are and are so much greater and worth times a billion mm-hmm. the, the very minor things that I have to put up with now, mm-hmm. right? And intellectually, I believe that they are, but I, I haven't learned that in like my passions or i don't even know there's just some point of there's some part of me that hasn't fully bought into this idea Mm -hmm. right um i want to ask you about one thing we kind of glossed over okay is you know okay we we talked a lot about oh once you achieve the state of perfection Mm -hmm. um there's like a lot there that's what i was just talking about yes but there is a risk even in saying, oh, once you achieve the, you know, for someone, let's say it's like, okay, I think I have achieved the state of perfection. Yeah, that means you probably haven't. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of a catch-22. Mm-hmm. And so, if you think, oh, I have achieved the state of perfection, well, very, very likely, maybe you haven't. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't, and then you try to go do these things, you will be met with just utter failure and, and um, you will do spiritual harm to yourself. And others. And others. Yes, that's exactly true. And so, I think the one we just said is about, you know, like, am I saying no to things or am I saying yes to mm-hmm. things? I think that is a really good litmus test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how else? Like, is there another way to know yeah, so I think so. Our, our bishops talked about uh, one time. He said there are two, two times in a Christian's life: the time that he's at mass, and the time when he's getting back to mass. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is a, a good litmus test as well. Is like how do you how do you think about prayer? Like, is the manual labor the break in which you need to in, to get back to the state of contemplation, to the state of in prayer? Or is it like, I just got to get like, I, okay, I good, I checked off that box. Now I can go on with my day. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, you know, living your life ceasing without praying? Yeah. I think that's a good litmus test as well. I also think that under no circumstances should anyone attempt to do like, oh, I'm going to go out and live this like solo lifestyle without, without um, a spiritual director yeah, yeah, yeah. telling you and, I mean, first. Like, so, I mean, based off of kind of what he was talking about, I do think that there's a a, a need for hermits. And I, I mean, I think there's even a, you know, even at Clear Creek, there's a little hermitage, right? And it's not necessarily, like, yeah. for, for, you know, in the monastery, there's like a, a side hermitage. And I, I always use kind of like 
kind of laugh about it. It's like, oh, is is the cloistered uh, monastery too loud for you that you well, have to... Yes, there have been saints who talk about that. Right. Who, who'd say, oh, the monastery is just so loud. Right. It's just, I just can't even think, can't even pray because it's just so loud. It's like, right. oh, sure. Right. I mean, totally, because... You heard somebody whispering in the hallway, you know, like <laughs> yeah. just so disruptive. Yeah. Like um, you never, it's like, you know what? It's a good thing you didn't have kids. I'm just going to say that. But not every monk at Clear Creek is called to go to that hermitage. Either, right. Right. right? Um, and so like, while I, I don't think that many are called to this, you know, to this vocation, um, I do think there is a, a need for it, especially now um, with um, this so much of the secularization of our church today. Yeah. So I think that there are really two types of hermits that we should distinguish. Okay, I think there's the hermit per se, who who is like, we're talking about actual solitude, physical, mm-hmm. uh, social solitude, mm-hmm. okay? And then there is the like type of hermit, which goes, which is just hand in hand with contemplation, that we are all called to be hermits in a certain way, right? Uh, where we make that, that um, reserve within ourself, with it, like that place, um, and of course, all of us belongs to Christ, and we all of it does. But we should have a special like place in our hearts, and in our like desires that is for Him alone. Okay, and that's not going to happen on accident. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have to pursue. There is a level of interior solitude that every single person should definitely be pursuing right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we have to we have to build that retreat within ourselves and the only way you're going to do that is like is by doing the things we've talked about is having ascetical practices in your life where you say no because if you don't if you cannot say no and you don't train yourself to say no then um, your passions will gobble up every single space in your in your person, in your mm. in your desires, in your hearts, right? Mm. Um, it will they will consume every available place that you that you allow them to. Because your will is weak. Yes, and it's ravenous. Mm-hmm. Your your passions are ravenous. You are hungry because you. We look around and we see that God made the world good, mm-hmm. and I want it because because He actually made us to be attracted to the good. Mm-hmm. We have this erotic desire in us, which causes us to desire all things that are good. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is this is like, this is the love of Eros, which attracts me to things that are good and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so if I do not, you know, if I, I have to kill something, I have to put something on the altar of sacrifice and slay it. And it has to be a part of me. It has to be a part of my desires. Mm-hmm. It has to be my will, mm-hmm. and once it, this is the this is why it doesn't happen on accident, mm-hmm. because I have to intentionally choose to kill something of myself. Something has to die in order for that retreat to be made available, so that so that the Lord might fill it. Mm-hmm. Because we have our free will, and He, under no circumstances, like He respects and loves our free will, because that is our ability to love so highly that he he will never intrude on on it right mm-hmm. and so we need to be specific and intentional we need to order our lives so that asceticism is simply a part of it all the time mm-hmm. it's not just a lent thing right right it needs to be an, an everyday thing mm-hmm. and um so 
that in many ways that that is a hermetic is that the word hermetic like a hermit yeah i'm going to i'm just going to use that word sure. hermetic it's a hermetic way of being that we're all called to right and so that was that'd be more like a, a pseudo hermitage within ourselves which is apart from what i would call the hermit per se yeah. being i feel uh, like i'm being very philosophical today <laughs> that's a uh, some great distinctions dave yes thank you thank you write that down yeah yeah so i mean i i, I mean i just think that that like i found it very interesting to i had a, a much better understanding of what a hermit is mm-hmm. and like the need for them and like yeah. what what it actually how it's not actually uh, a con- contradiction to living in communion but actually a logical conclusion of a f- the fulfillment of living in uh, communion with sure um isn't that interesting it's just another one of the like contradictions or the paradoxes in the faith yeah that communion leads to solitude mm-hmm. you know when it when done when done, yeah. yeah when done perfectly mm-hmm. that perfect communion leads to a solitude in many ways it's, weird. it's it's just like ironic god is he's so weird like he's he's he's, he's so great. awesome he's awesome but like He's weird. <laughs> like from from a human standpoint, from a human way of thinking, it's totally bizarre. Yeah. But incredible, you know. Oh, Adam, if you ever decide to be like a full-blown hermit, mm. can I have your stuff? <laughs> oh, Adam, been meaning to ask you this question. <laughs> sure, dude, you can have it all. Yes. Except for one thing that one gets to pick. So he gets to pick one thing, one thing, and I get the rest. Yes, deal. I, I like this deal. At Juan, if it was today, what would be the one thing that you would pick of all of Adam's stuff, which isn't much? Now, does your stuff? When we say that, does it have to be at your house? I don't know what you mean by that. Okay, good. We'll just say yes. Mm. I like his biggest deer head. You want the deer head? The biggest. Oh, one. you can totally have it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact, one, you can have all of the deer heads. <laughs> That's how generous I, I am. I knew he was going to say the wrong answer as he was like looking around in this room, like the things that he was <laughs> yeah. going to like, as he's looking around, I was like, oh man, if you're looking for anything in here. I was just really glad he didn't say your table saw, which is at my house, because I just <laughs> really want to keep that. I would have said all of my books. I would have said my books. You can have the books. You know what? The books, like, I could buy all of your books probably four or five or six or ten times for what it would cost me to replace that table saw. Okay? Fair enough. And I use the table saw all the time. I can't wait to take it back. You're, <laughs> you know what? We're going to have to work. We're going to have to work out something. <laughs> yes, you loading it into my trailer. <laughs> all right. Mm. just get out of here